The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he is born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he sat on the, spat on the ground and made clay with his saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pillow of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors who and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is. But others said, no, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He replied, the man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Now, Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, question him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, if he is a sinner, I do not know. 
One thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are that man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and you are trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord. And he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, We see, and so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. So we're going to try this out and see if, if technology is our friend tonight. But today we hear another continuation. This is another reading that drives us back to the early church. Last week we heard the story of the woman at the well. Today we hear the man born blind. Next week we hear the raising of Lazarus. And these are readings, gospel readings, that the early church chose to expose the power of sin in this season of Lent, and to expose even greater the power of Jesus Christ over sin and death. Last week, we heard about the woman at the well and that power of personal sin and how our desires can be twisted by sin. Instead of being fulfilled in God, they can try to find fulfillment in something else that will never satisfy. And that that often causes shame and that shame drives us away from God and from our community. 
And that woman teaches us that lesson about sin and grace and that Jesus comes to us in our thirst, in our desire, and fulfills that desire. And he comes to us in our shame and heals us. Today we hear a different story about a man born blind, but like the woman, his experience is also our experience. What he goes through is a paradigm for us and for what our lives are. First of all, he's a man born blind. And that's us. We're born into a broken and sinful world. We're affected by original sin and we cannot see by the light of God. And then our baptism gives us the light of faith as a gift from God where we can begin to see and know and understand the great love and mercy of our God and the peace that is possible in the world. But see, that's only the beginning of the story for this man. The healing happens right at the beginning. And this is a good thing. The man can see now. But you notice what happens in the whole rest of the story. There's resistance, and there's resistance, and there's resistance, and it gets stronger and stronger as he tries to follow the light of Christ. See, last week, the woman showed us that there's interior blocks to living the life of faith and the power of sin. But today's reading shows us that it's not just shame that separates us from God, but that sin has power in the world and that there is evil out there, whether we like it or not. And that sin affects us from the outside and it's not just a psychological internal reality, but there are realities that shape us and bend us and deform us. So what does that look like? What are you talking about, Lincoln? What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, we've all seen it, and I'll give you some extreme examples, maybe not extreme, some real examples about how external forces can prevent us or try to prevent us from following the light of Christ. So just a couple of examples. First, Think of a convict, someone who's been sent to jail or to prison for some reason or another, serves their time, gets out, and is released. He's trying to live a good life now. He's served his time and he's doing the best he can. But as he applies for jobs and as he meets people, they find out that he's been in jail and in prison. And his life is much harder to follow that light of Christ. As he strives to do good, he meets more and more resistance. Like this blind man who could see, he's pressured and encounters more and more challenges. Not because of something he's doing, but because of the world 
that we live in. And not because anybody he meets is particularly mean or evil or bad, but because that's just the way the world works. That's what I mean by the power of sin in the world. Or think of a woman who's been abused in a domestic violence situation and she's trying to leave. And she does. But she has nothing except the kids. She has no job. She has nowhere to go. She's trying to do good to care for herself and her family. And yet there are these forces that make it more and more difficult. Or think of an alcoholic who's in recovery and trying to live clean and sober, but his friends keep calling him and inviting him out to party. See, there are things in the world that challenge us when we're trying to live in the light of Christ when we're trying to follow the Lord of all. These people are all doing good. The blind man is trying to live a good life. But there's good news here in this man's story. Because at the end of the story, it's not just all difficult, but what he discovers is it's those very difficulties those very challenges, that time when he is thrown out. Remember that? They threw him out. That's when Jesus fully reveals who he is to him. It's because of the struggle, because of being put on the outside, that he can see how wonderful and merciful God is. See, being on the outside, being driven out, opens his eyes in a whole new way. And he can see the world for what it is. And he can recognize the sin for what it is and the power of sin operating. And yet he can see something more. He can see the glory of Jesus Christ who shows himself to him and never, ever, ever abandons him. See, that's the dynamic of sin in the world. We are like that man. We try to follow as best we can. If someone is struggling, we try to reach out to that convict, to that woman, to that alcoholic, and to give them the support the best we can that we can do because we know the world is a difficult, difficult place to live in the light of faith. That's our call. Now, I was reminded of a speech that St. John Paul the Great gave in 1999 in St. Louis when I was thinking about this. And he was talking about being unconditionally pro-life unconditionally pro-life. And he said this, he said, as the new millennium approaches, there remains another great challenge facing this community. 
He's in St. Louis in the United States and this whole country to put an end to every form of racism, a plague which is one of the most persistent and destructive evils of the nation. A plague which is one of the most persistent and destructive evils of the nation. It's an example of that sin of the world. It's not because particular people are bad. It's the way things work. We're reading a book in the Social Justice Commission by Brian Massengale. He's a uh, priest in the Diocese of Milwaukee. And he shares this story, which really helped me get a sense of how racism is like that convict, that woman, that addict, this blind man. He says, the story of my family illustrates this well. My father was trained as a carpenter. He received his associate's degree in carpentry from Milwaukee's Technical College in the mid-1950s. Yet he was never employed as a carpenter, nor did he ever practice his trade, for he was refused admission into the local carpenters' union due to that union's informal but ironclad exclusions of blacks from membership. He was regulated to the ranks of unskilled laborers, working as an orderly in the county mental hospital, stocking shelves at a local department store, and sheltering his family in the local housing projects. He forfeited not only the higher salary that should rightfully have been his, but also the accumulated capital that would have come from home ownership and investment, which could also have been a legacy for his children and their descendants. Racism translated into economic disadvantage and exploitation. That's real. It has also affected not only me, but many others in this nation and continues to do so. But my family's story also illustrates the reality of white privilege. For some person, some other family, some racial group benefited from my father's exclusion as a competitor for a valued job. Some other family was able to purchase a home and benefit from the economic stability which that resource conferred. Some other family was able to pass on that value in an estate to its heirs, providing them with a leg up in life. Perhaps the seed money for a college education for a first house, for a business opportunity. And some members of those families are also reading this book. When I say members of those families who benefited from my father's exclusion are now reading this text, I'm not saying that they or you are bad people. That individuals may not have chosen it, realized it, or even desired it. They may have not had a prejudiced bone in their bodies, but the advantages were real nonetheless, as is the damage of racial injustice. We will never adequately deal with the reality of racial injustice and its generational effects unless we name its causes and attack its sources. See, the world is broken. The world is broken, and following the light of Christ is not easy 
for any of us. And we reach out and we support and we combat evil in all its forms, in all the ways that we can. Because we've been given the light of faith and we can see, we can see what a peaceful and just society could look like. Jesus ends this gospel. He says, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see might see and those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were there with him heard this and he said to them, surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, we see, so your sin remains. Each of us has been given the light of faith, and we're called to see the world through that light. It's not easy to be a disciple. It's not easy to follow the light of faith. But when things get hard, when the struggle becomes too much, we remember this man born blind and his struggle. And we remember that when he was most in need, when things seemed most hopeless, when he seemed most abandoned, Jesus came and the blind man worshiped him. Our faith is our gift. Our faith is our hope. May it move us to action in the world as we strive to follow the light of faith.